Welcome to A Torah Weekly. This is James. Today we are doing the March 19th, 2022 Torah portion. And today it is to love, which is command. Today is the 16th, Adar 2, 5782 on the Hebrew calendar. Uh, we're going to start with the Torah portion of Leviticus 6 1 up to chapter 8 through 36. The half Torah portion, the first one is Jeremiah 7 21 through Jeremiah 8 3 and Jeremiah 9 22 through 23. The second part of the half Torah portions for today is Malachi 3 and the uh, Brit Hadashah, which are the New Testament portions. Our first one is Matthew chapter 9, uh, verses 13 through 25. And the second part is Matthew chapter 17, 9 through 13. And then the last one is it's Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24, all the way to chapter 8, verse 6. Now, Leviticus 6, 1 through Leviticus 8, 36. Chapter 6. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, If a soul sin, and commit a trespass against the Lord, and he unto his neighbor in that which was delivered him to keep, or in fellowship, or in a thing taken away by violence, or hath deceived his neighbor, or have found that which was lost, and lieth concerning it, and sweareth falsely in any of all these that a man doeth, sinning therein. Then it shall be because he hath sinned and is guilty, that he shall restore that which he took violently away, or the thing which he hath deceitfully gotten, or that which was delivered him to keep, or the lost thing which he found, or all that about which he hath sworn falsely, he shall even restore it in the principle, and shall add the fifth part more thereto, and give it unto him to whom it appertaineth in the day of his trespass offering. And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord, a ram without blemish, out of the flock which thy estimation for a trespass offering unto the priest. And the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord, a ram without blemish out of the flock, with thy estimation for a trespass offering unto the priest. And the priest shall make an atonement for him, before the Lord, and it shall be forgiven him for anything of all that he hath done in trespassing therein. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. It is the burnt offering because of the burning upon the altar all night unto the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment, and his linen breeches shall he put upon his flesh, 
and take up the ashes, which the fire hath consumed with the burnt offering on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. And he shall put off his garments, and put on the other garments, and every fourth the ashes without the camp into a clean place. And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it, it shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and lay the burnt offering in order upon it. And he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar, it shall never go out. And this is the law of the meat offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it before the Lord before the altar. And he shall take of it his handful of the flour, of the meat offering, and of the oil thereof, and all the frankincense, which is upon the meat offering, and shall burn it upon the altar, for a sweet savor, even the memorial of it, unto the Lord. And the remainder thereof shall Aaron and his sons eat, with unleavened bread shall it be eaten in the holy place. In the court of the tabernacle of the congregation they shall eat it. It shall not be bacon with leaven. I have given it unto them for their portion of my offerings made by fire. It is most holy, as is the sin offering, and as the trespass offering. All the males among the children of Aaron shall eat of it. It shall be a statute forever in your generations concerning the offerings of the Lord made by fire. Every one that touches them shall be holy. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This is the offering of Aaron and all of his sons, which they shall offer unto the Lord in the day when he is anointed, the tenth part of an epoth, a fine flour for a meat offering perpetual, half of it in the morning and half thereof at night. In a part it shall be made with oil. And when it is bacon, thou shalt bring it in. And the bacon pieces of the meat offering shalt thou offer for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the priest of his sons that is anointed in his stead shall offer it. It is a statute forever unto the Lord. It shall be wholly burnt. For every meat offering for the priests shall be wholly burnt, it shall not be eaten. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest that offereth it for sin shall eat it. In the holy place shall it be eaten in the court of the tabernacle of the congregation. Whosoever shall touch the flesh thereof shall be holy. And when there is sprinkled of the blood thereof upon every garment, thou shalt wash that whereon it was sprinkled in the holy place. But the earthen vessel wherein it is sodden shall be broken, and if it be sodden in a brazen pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. All the males among the priests shall eat thereof. It is most holy.
and no sin offering whereof any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of the congregation to reconcile with all in the holy place shall be eaten. It shall be burnt in the fire. Chapter 7 Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering shall they kill the trespass offering, and the blood thereof shall be sprinkled round about upon the altar. And he shall offer of it all the fat thereof, the rump, the fat that covereth the inwards, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, which is by the flanks, and the caul that is above the liver, with the kidneys, it shall be take away. And the priests shall burn them upon the altar for an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a trespass offering. Every male among the priests shall eat thereof. It shall be eaten in the holy place. It is most holy. As the sin offering is, so is the trespass offering. There is one law for them. The priest that maketh atonement therewith shall have it. And the priest that offereth any man's burnt offering, even the priest shall have to himself the skin of the burnt offering which he hath offered. And all the meat offering that is bacon in the oven, and all that is dressed in the frying pan, and in the pan shall be the priests that offereth it. And every meat offering, mingled with oil and dry, shall all the sons of Aaron have, one as much as another. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer unto the Lord. If he offer it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes, mingled with oil, and unleavened wafers, anointed with oil, and cakes mingled with oil, of fine flour fried. Besides the cakes, he shall offer for his offering leavened bread, with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offerings. And of it he shall offer one out of the whole oblation, for an anheave offering unto the Lord. And it shall be the priest that sprinkleth the blood of the peace offerings, and the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings. For thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day that is offered. He shall not leave any of it unto the morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering be a vow or a voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offereth his sacrifice, and on the morrow also the remainder of it shall be eaten. But the remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burnt with fire. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings be eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, neither shall it be imputed unto him that offereth it. It shall be an abomination, and the soul that eateth it shall bear the iniquity. And the flesh that toucheth any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burnt with fire, and as for the flesh, all that he cleans shall eat thereof. But the soul that eateth of the flesh of the sacrifice of peace offerings that pertain unto the Lord 
having his uncleanness upon him, even that soul shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, the soul that shall touch any unclean thing, as the uncleanness of man, or any unclean beast, or any abominable unclean thing, and eat of the flesh of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which pertain unto the Lord, even that soul shall be cut off from his people. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Ye shall eat no manner of fat, of ox, or of sheep, or of goat, and the fat of the beast that dieth of itself, and the fat of that which is torn with beasts, may be used in any other use, but ye shall in no wise eat of it. For whosoever eateth the fat of the beast of which men offer an offering, made by fire unto the Lord, even the soul that eateth it shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, ye shall eat no manner of blood, whether it be a fowl or a beast in any of your dwellings. Whosoever soul it be that eateth any manner of blood, even that soul shall be cut off from his people. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, He that offereth and sacrifice of his peace offerings unto the Lord shall bring his oblation unto the Lord of the sacrifice of his peace offerings. His own hands shall bring the offerings of the Lord made by fire, the fat with the breast. It shall he bring that the beast may be waved for a wave offering before the Lord. And the priest shall burn the fat upon the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron's and his sons. And the right shoulder shall give unto the priest for a heave offering of the sacrifices of your peace offerings. He among the souls of Aaron that offereth the blood of the peace offerings and the fat shall have the right shoulder for his part. For the waved breast and the heaved shoulder have I taken of the children of Israel from off the sacrifices of their peace offerings, and have given them unto Aaron the priest, and unto his sons by a statute forever from among the children of Israel. This is the portion of the anointing of Aaron, and of the anointing of his sons, out of the offerings of the Lord made by fire, in the day when he presented them to minister unto the Lord in the priest's office, which the Lord commanded to be given them of the children of Israel, in the day that he anointed them by a statute forever throughout their generations. This is the law of the burnt offering, of the meat offering, and of the sin offering, and of the trespass offering, and of the consecrations, and of the sacrifice of the peace offerings, which the Lord commanded Moses in Mount Sinai in the day that he commanded the children of Israel to offer their oblations unto the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Chapter 8 And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and a bullock for the sin offering, and two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread. 
And gather thou all the congregation together unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And the assembly was gathered together unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Moses said unto the congregation, This is the thing which the Lord commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put upon him the coat and girded him with the girdle and clothed him with the robes and put the ephod upon him. And he girded him with the curious girdle of the ephod and bound it unto him therewith. And he put the breastplate upon him. Also he put in the breastplate, the Urim and Thurman, and he put the mitre upon his head. Also upon the mitre, even upon his forefront, did he put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. And Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was therein and sanctified them. And he sprinkled thereof upon the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its vessels, both the laver and its foot, to sanctify them. And he poured of the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and put coats upon them and girded them with girdles and put bonnets upon them as the Lord commanded Moses. And he brought the bullock for the sin offering. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands upon the head of the bullock for the sin offering. And he slew it. And Moses took the blood and put it upon the horns of the altar round about with his finger and purified the altar and poured the blood at the bottom of the altar and sanctified it to make reconciliation upon it. And he took all the fat that was upon the inwards, and the caul above the liver, and the two kidneys, and their fat, and Moses burned it upon the altar. But the bullock and its hide, its flesh and its dung, he burnt with fire without the camp, as the Lord commanded Moses. And he brought the ram for the burnt offering. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands upon the head of the ram, and he killed it. And Moses sprinkled the blood upon the altar round about. And he cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burnt the head, and the pieces, and the fat. And he washed the inwards, and the legs in water. And Moses burnt the whole ram upon the altar. It was a burnt sacrifice for a sweet savor and an offering made by fire unto the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. And he brought the other ram, the ram of consecration. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands upon the head of the ram, and he slew it. And Moses took of the blood of it, and put it upon the tip of Aaron's right ear, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. And he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put of the blood upon the tip of their right ear, and upon the thumbs of their right hand, and upon the great toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood upon the altar round about. And he took the fat, and the rump, 
and all the fat that was upon the inwards, and the call above the liver, and the two kidneys, and their fat, and the right shoulder, and out of the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, and a cake of oiled bread, and one wafer, and put them on the fat and upon the right shoulder. And he put all upon Aaron's hands and upon his son's hands and waved them for a wave offering before the Lord. And Moses took them from off their hands and burnt them on the altar upon the burnt offering. They were consecrations for a sweet savor. It is an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And Moses took the breasts and waved it for a wave offering before the Lord. For of the ram of consecration it was Moses' part, as the Lord commanded Moses. And Moses took of the anointing oil, and of the blood which was upon the altar, and sprinkled it upon Aaron, and upon his garments, and upon his sons, and upon his sons' garments with him, and sanctified Aaron and his garments, and his sons, and his sons' garments with him. And Moses said unto Aaron and to his sons, Boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and there eat it with the bread that is in the basket of consecrations. As I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. And that which remaineth of the flesh and of the bread shall ye burn with fire, and ye shall not go out of the door of the tabernacle of the congregation in seven days until the days of your consecration be at an end. For seven days shall he consecrate you. As he hath done this day, so the Lord hath commanded to do, to make an atonement for you. Therefore shall ye abide at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation day and night seven days, and keep the charge of the Lord that ye die not. For so I am commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all things which the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. We now come to the uh, first of the half Torah portions. And we find this in Jeremiah chapter 7, uh, verse 21, through Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 3. And then we jump to chapter 9 in Jeremiah and verses 22 and 23. I'm going to give a little information about uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah's long ministry of over 40 years stretched from 625 B.C. until a few years after Judah ceased to be a state in 586 B.C. Over 50 years of religious apostasy under Manasseh were eventually followed by religious reform under Josiah, 621-607 to B.C. Jeremiah supported the reform with enthusiasm until he realized that it was not changing the people's hearts. Two years after Josiah's death, the Battle of Carchemish, 605 B.C., established Babylonian control over Western Asia. From that time, Jeremiah advocated submission to Babylon, but without success. 
Under the last four kings of Judah, 21 years of religious apostasy and political weakness made the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. and exile inevitable. The distressing circumstances in which Jeremiah worked and the extraordinary event to which idolatry had replaced a revealed religion in Judah are clearly mirrored in Jeremiah's prophecies. So also is Jeremiah's spiritual anguish occasioned by this apostasy. Yet he was no pessimist. He was essentially God's warrior, but a warrior who was also watchman and witness. Chapter 1 describes Jeremiah's call to uh, prophethood. Chapters 2 through 13 enable us to reconstruct the conditions in which he prophesied, while chapters 14 through 33 mirror his awareness of and his fellowship with God, also 1 1 through 19. The warrior then emerges as God's watchman, 34 1 through 45 5, and God's witness. 46 1 through 52 34. In Jeremiah's oracles, God, the moral governor of the world, is Israel's covenant God. Through Israel, he sought to achieve moral purposes. At last, the northern kingdom's adulteries with Balaam compelled God to divorce her. Judah, the southern kingdom, failed to learn from Israel's experience. She outdid Israel in sexual impurities, yet Judah repudiated the charges of religious infidelity. Therefore, God must judge her. Repentance might have stayed divorce proceedings, her adulteries notwithstanding. So great is the Lord's grace. But so established was Judah in lewdness that she was incapable of moral amendment. Gradually, social virtues disappeared. Sacrifices and ritual failed as substitutes for repentance and righteousness. Judah's appalling sinfulness meant that sin must be congenial. Hence, her moral inability. It sprang from a sinful nature. Judgment was inescapable in exile. But exile was not the final word. A remnant would return to live under Messiah's rule in religious and social security. Messiah's righteous rule over a righteous people helps explain Jeremiah's doctrine of the new covenant. People would be righteous because their hearts would be renewed. They would obey God's laws from the heart spontaneously. The new covenant ensuring forgiveness and inward moral dynamic would transcend the old covenant. Eventually, through Christ's sacrificial death and the inward regenerative activity of the Holy Spirit, the new covenant became a reality. A little bit about the uh, author of Jeremiah. No principle is discernible in the arrangement of Jeremiah's prophecies. Oracles under Judah's last five kings do not follow chronological sequence. The chapter sequence in Hebrew differs from the order in the Septuagint, and the Septuagint shows considerable omissions.
This suggests a different editorial revision. Jeremiah dictated his prophecies and Baruch wrote them down, 36, 1-8 and 32. The disorderly arrangement might be evidence of primitiveness. The New Testament contains numerous references to Jeremiah. We now turn to Jeremiah chapter 7, starting with verse 21. And we're going to go all the way through uh, chapter 8, verse 3. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices, and eat flesh. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice and I will be your God. And ye shall be my people and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart, and went backward and not forward. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have even sent unto you all my servants the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but hardened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken to thee. Thou shalt also call unto them, but they will not answer thee. But thou shalt say unto them, this is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. Cut off thine hair, O Jerusalem, and cast it away, and take up a lamentation on high places. For the Lord hath rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. And they have built the high places to profit, which is in the valley of the son of Hinman, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not. Neither came it into my heart." Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinman, but the valley of slaughter, for they shall bury in Tophet till there be no place. And the carcasses of this people shall be meat for the fowls of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and none shall fray them away. Then will I cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. Chapter 8 At that time, saith the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah and the bones of the princes and the bones of the priests and the bones of the prophets, and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. And they shall spread them before the sun, 
and the moon and all the host of heaven, whom they have loved, and whom they have served, and after whom they have walked, and whom they have sought, and whom they have worshipped, they shall not be gathered nor be buried. They shall be for dung upon the face of the earth. And death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of them that remain in this evil family, which remain in all the places whither I have driven them, saith the Lord of hosts. Now we turn to Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 22 and 23. Speak thus, saith the Lord, Even the carcasses of men shall fall as dung upon the open field, and as the handful after the harvest man, and none shall gather them. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Malachi is next. We're in the section of unmeasured blessing and uh, unwarranted assertions. Speaking for God, Malachi stood at one of the most significant dividing points in history. Prophets had come and gone, but the culture about him did not bear the impress of their labors. The priests were corrupt, chapter 1, verse 6, through chapter uh, 2, verse 9, And the people with some expectations were no better. Chapter 2, verse 10 through chapter 4, verse 3. But God was still on the throne, sovereign. He was the Father. Chapter 1, verse 6. The Master. Chapter 1, verse 6. A Great King. Chapter 1, verse 14. The Heavenly Governor, which is implied in chapter 1, verse 8 the giver of covenants and commandments, chapter 2, verse 5, and chapter 4, verse 4. As the God of judgment, he had brought about the doom of Edom, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. His curse was upon the unfaithful priests, chapter 1, verse 14, chapter 2, 2 through 3, and 9. And those who had robbed him, chapter 3, verse 9. He would cut off those who intermarried with the heathen, chapter 2, verse 12. This is a little bit about marriage and who you can marry. There would be Swiss judgment, chapter 2, verse 17 through chapter 3 through 5. The day of the Lord would consume the wicked, chapter 4, verse 1 and 3. Yet, As the God of grace, he would bless the faithful remnant, for a story of grace lay behind his love for Jacob. Chapter 1, verse 2. His covenant with Levi. Chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. His forbearance with the sons of Jacob. Chapter 3, verse 6. His offer to those who had been unfaithful stewards. Chapter 3, verse 10. The Book of Remembrance. Chapter 3, verse 16. The Rising of the Son of Righteousness, chapter 4, verse 2, and the Promised Coming of Elijah, chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. The day of the Lord was is coming, said Malachi. 
It would be a glorious day for the righteous. Chapter 3, verse 16, 17, chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. But a day of destruction for the wicked, chapter 4, verse 1 and 3. Yet between the lines can be read these words of grace. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? That's Ezekiel 33.11. About the author of Malachi. Uh, Malachi means my messenger or a missionary. Since all other Old Testament books of prophecy are authenticated by the presence of the author's names, however, and since the name Malachi is formed like certain other Hebrew proper names, it probably is the name of the prophet who wrote the book. In any event, history has preserved for us no certain information about the author. Malachi was probably written sometime in the quarter century following 450 B.C., since it mirrors conditions existing in the time of Nehemiah's second arrival in Jerusalem in 432 B.C. I'm reading uh, Malachi chapters 3 and chapter 4. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the saucers, and against the adulterers, and against false swearers, and against those that oppress the hiring in his wages, the widow, and the fatherless, and the and that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed." Even from the days of your fathers ye are gone away from mine ordinances, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. 
and all nations shall call you blessed. For you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, What have we spoken so much against thee? Ye have said, It is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinances, and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy, yea, they that work wickedness are set up, yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. In that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him, then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. Chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and ye shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. I now turn to Matthew. Uh, we're in the section that uh, is talking about the mighty deeds of the kingdom, a series of miracles, the kingdom and the old order. And uh, we're also in the section preparing of Jesus' disciples for his death. Uh, we're going to start with Matthew 9, and we're going to go through uh, verses 13 through 25 first. Then we'll go to Matthew 17 and verses 9 through 13. Chapter 9, starting with verse 13 through 25. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft? But thy disciples fast not. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. No man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. 
but they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose. Matthew 17, verses 9 through 13. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man has risen again from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elijah must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elijah truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elijah is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. A little uh, information about Matthew. The purpose of Matthew's gospel is to witness that Jesus was the Messiah of Old Testament promise and that his messianic mission was to bring the kingdom of God to men. These two themes, Jesus' messiahship and the presence of the kingdom of God, are inseparably linked together and each embodies a mystery, a new disclosure of the divine, redemptive purpose. See Romans 16, 25 and 26. The mystery of the messianic mission is that before Messiah comes as the heavenly Son of Man with the clouds of heaven to establish the kingdom over all the earth, he must first come in humility among men as the suffering servant to die. This was unheard of to the first century Jew. Isaiah 53 clearly predicts the sufferings of Messiah. However, Messiah is not named in this passage, and the context, Isaiah 48.20 and 49.3, specifically names Israel as God's servant. It is not surprising, therefore, to learn that the Jews did not understand that Isaiah 53 referred to Messiah. They looked for a Messiah who would come in power and victory, and the Old Testament does indeed promise such a Messiah. The son of David is a divine king who will rule in the messianic kingdom, Isaiah 9:11, Jeremiah 33. When all sin and evil will be taken away and peace and righteousness will prevail. The son of man is a heavenly being to whom the ruler over all nations and kingdoms of the earth is to be committed. The Old Testament 
does not indicate how these two prophetic concepts of the divinic king and the heavenly son of man are related to each other, or how either of them can be identified with the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Therefore, first century Jews looked for a conquering divinic messiah, or a heavenly son of man, not for a humble servant of the Lord who would suffer and die. The messianic mystery, the new disclosure of the divine purpose, is that the heavenly Son of Man must first suffer and die in fulfillment of his redemptive messianic mission as the suffering servant before he comes in power and glory. The mystery of the kingdom is similar and closely associated with the messianic mystery. Daniel 2 describes the coming of God's kingdom vividly in terms of the destruction of every power which resists God and opposes the divine will. The kingdom is to come in power, sweeping before it, before it all evil and every hostile rule, transforming the earth and ushering in a new universal order of perfect peace and righteousness. However, Jesus offered no such kingdom of mighty power. Therefore, his message as well as his person was utterly perplexing to his contemporaries, including his disciples. He was a carpenter's son, as some people say. I personally believe that he was a mason. His family was known in Nazareth. He looked like little more than a Jewish rabbi. His works were gentle deeds of kindness and love, yet he claimed that in his words and deeds, and in his person, the kingdom of God had come near. However, the kingdoms of men and of the world were undisturbed, and the hated rule of Rome over God's people was not challenged. How could this be the kingdom of God if it did not break asunder all other kingdoms and grind them to powder? That the kingdom was to come in spiritual power before it should come in glory was a new revelation of the divine purpose. The author, every uh, second century tradition, attributes the first gospel to the apostle Matthew. And now to uh, Hebrews. We're in the section where Christ's superiority to the Levitical priesthood and... Um, the heavenly sanctuary and the new covenant. In Hebrews, Almighty God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. He has now spoken by his Son. The prologue affirms the distinctiveness of the Son. He is before history, in history, above history, the goal of history, and the agent who brings about a cleansing of men from the sins committed in history. He shares the essence of deity and radiates the glory of deity. He is the supreme revelation of God. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The next passage, chapter 1, verses 4 through 14, makes clear the preeminence of Christ. He is superior to angels. They assist those who will be heirs of salvation. Christ, by virtue of who he is, of God's appointment, and of what he has done, stands exalted far above them. How tragic to be careless of the great salvation he proclaimed. He will achieve for man the promise that all things will be in harmonious subjection to man. 
He can do this because he is fully man and has provided the the expiation for sins. He is superior to Moses. Moses was a servant among the people of God. Christ is a son over the people of God. How tragic to cease trusting him. Unbelief kept one entire generation of Israelites from Canaan. We are warned of such unbelief. Faith is emphasized as well as zeal to enter into the eternal rest of God, the gospel of God, and God himself scrutinizes men. The priesthood of Christ is also developed by comparison. Chapters 4, verse 14 through chapter 10 through verse 18. Qualifications, conditions, and experiences of the Aaronic priesthood are listed in comparison to Christ as a priest. Before further developing this theme, the writer warns his readers of their unpreparedness for advanced teaching. Only earnest diligence in things of God will bring them out of uh, immaturity. Christ, as a priest like Melchizedek, is superior to the Levitical priesthood because his life is indestructible. He was both priest and sacrifice. His priesthood is eternal. His sanctuary is in heaven, and his blood establishes the validity of the new covenant that is also an eternal covenant. The perseverance of believers springs out of fellowship with God activity for God, faith in God, and a consciousness of what lies ahead. Chapter 10, verse 19 through chapter 12 through verse 29. The cross as as the believer's altar and the resurrection of the great shepherd are the basis for God's action. These redemptive historical events move the believer to action. Chapter 13, verse 1 through verse 25. The author is not named except for Hebrews and 1 John. Every epistle of the New Testament designates its author by name and by title. Ever since the first century, the question of who wrote Hebrews has attracted much discussion. The answers of the early believers varied. On the eastern shore of the Mediterranean and around Alexandria, they associated the book with Paul. Origen, A.D. 185 to 254, felt that the thoughts of the book are Paul's, but that the language and composition are someone else's. In North America, Tertullian, A.D. 155 to 225, held that Barnabas wrote Hebrews. Although the epistle was known first in Rome and the West, First Clement, dated about A.D. 95, cites Hebrews frequently, the unanimous opinion in this area for 200 years was that Paul did not write Hebrews. These early uh, believers did not state who they thought wrote it. They just did not know. Believers today should not be dogmatic about an issue which has long been uncertain. However, students of Scripture should look at the book of Hebrews for themselves. A careful study in the Greek text tells many things about the author. The book has a published Greek style, like that of a master rhetorician. This is unlike Paul. Paul frequently picks up a new stream of thought before he finishes the one he is treating. 
The writer of Hebrews never does this. The vocabulary, figures of speech, and manner of argument show an Alexandrian and Philonic influence. Philo, uh, 20 B.C. to A.D. 50 or 60. Paul had no such background. The writer of Hebrews quotes the Old Testament differently from Paul. Paul's phrases, just as it has been written 19 times, it has been written 10 times, the scripture says 6 times. The scripture proclaims good tidings beforehand one time, never occur in Hebrews, although the, the writer quotes the Old Testament profusely. If Paul is not the author, who is? Apollos fits the evidence found in the book. He came from Alexandria. He was an eloquent and learned man. He was powerful in the scriptures. The following New Testament passages tell us about Apollos, Acts 18, 24 through 28, 19, uh, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 12, 3, verses 4 through 6, 22, 4, verse 6, Chapter 16, verse 12, Titus verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 13. We may never be sure of the author's name, but if we read the epistle carefully, we will really get to know him. The best date for the epistle is between A.D. 68 and 70. Now to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24, starting at verse 24. But this man, because he containeth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens." Who needeth not daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, and then for the people's? For this he did once, when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests, which have infirmity. But the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the Son, who is consecrated forevermore. Chapter 8 now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest, who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary, and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have some what also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown to thee in the mount. But now hath he ordained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. I would like to thank you for joining me on this journey this week, and we will see you next week for a Torah reading. Thank you.